one, please rise for the call to worship. The call to worship is from Psalm 89, verses 1 through 2. A miscal of Ethan the Ezraite. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens you will establish your faithfulness. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Father, we thank you for your grace, your goodness and love. Father, we pray that you would lead us and guide us, grow us ever closer to you. Help us, O Lord, to lift high the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, give you all praise, glory, and honor. In Christ's glorious name, amen. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I invite you to sing with me number 212, Come Thou Almighty King. Love. 
You may be seated. For a time of prayer of confession and pronouncement of pardon, I'll be reading from Philippians chapter 2. I'll first be reading Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4, leading us in a prayer of confession of sin, and then pronouncing the pardon and glory of Christ in verses 5 through 8. Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Let us go, Lord, in prayer. Oh, Father, how good, how gracious, how loving, how merciful, how steadfast is your love and faithfulness to all your children. Oh, Father, how wonderful you are. Father, again, as we come to, to give you all praise, glory, and honor, Again, we want to humble ourselves before you, to take a time to confess those sins of thought, word, and action, knowing of the work of your Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. Father, we want to confess to you those times over this last week when we acted in pride, when we acted in ways where we elevated ourselves above others, concerned only with our own interests, conducting ourselves in selfishness. Father, we thank you that your son, Jesus Christ, displays what love is, how he emptied himself, how he bore such humility on the cross, so, Father, we pray that you would help us in this time. As we confess those sins over this last week, we confess these to you now in our thoughts and in our minds.
Philippians 2, starting at verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equity with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Know this, that if you trust and believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've been born again through the power of the Holy Spirit, given the gifts of repentance and faith, know this, Christ has died for you. You have been raised with Christ. You have been adopted by your heavenly Father, and you are dearly loved. Your sins have been forgiven. In Christ's glorious name, amen. In our time of confession of faith, we continue in the Cans of Door. So I invite you to read along with me in the bulletin, the Cans of Door, the fifth main point of doctrine, the perseverance of the saints. This is this last section of the Kanzador, focused in on perseverance. So this morning we're looking at Article 2, the believer's reaction to sins of weakness. Sins of weakness. I, I invite you to read along with me. Hence, daily sins of weakness arise, and blemishes cling to even the best works of God's people giving them continual cause to humble themselves before God, to flee for refuge to Christ crucified, to put the flesh to death more and more by the spirit of supplication and by holy exercises of godliness, and to strain toward the goal of perfection until they are freed from this body of death and reign with the Lamb of God in heaven. What a beautiful statement. I encourage you to use Article 2 often. I know it's been a help to me whenever I'm in times of great weakness or struggle. Article 2 has been a wonderful reminder to me of these true biblical realities of our call to strive forward to humble ourselves, knowing who we are in Jesus Christ. Beautiful reminder of our identity in Christ. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. Oh, Father, you are holy, holy, holy. Oh, Father, you are a holy God. Father, we marvel at your creation. Everything that has been made, you have made it to give you all glory, praise, and honor. To lift high your attributes, you are all-powerful, all-knowing. You are wise. Everything you do is perfect and right and good because you do it. Oh, Father, how wonderful and glorious you are. Father, we marvel 
And we praise you not only for creation, but for redemption. Oh, Father, while we were yet sinners, you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for all those whom you would call and draw, whom you would bring to repentance and faith. Oh, Father, how glorious is the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ, crucified, paying the penalty of sins, satisfying your holy, just wrath on behalf of your elect, of every tribe, nation, language, and people. Oh, Father, we pray that you would fix our eyes, fix our hearts, fix our minds on your Son, Jesus Christ, on your glorious gospel. Oh, Father, we pray that you would help us, help us throughout the time of our sanctification process to grow in holiness, to grow in humility, to grow in our understanding of our absolute dependence on you in all things. Oh, Father, we pray that you would help us to abide in your Son, Jesus Christ. For apart from your Son, we can do nothing. We have nothing. But in Jesus Christ, we have his righteousness, his holiness, the indwelling of his Spirit, the Holy Spirit. So, Father, we pray that you would help us to live less and less according to our old fallen flesh and more and more according to the Spirit. Oh, Father, we pray that you'd grow us in the fruit of the Spirit. We pray for our marriages. We pray for our families. We pray for all those communities and relationships you place us in. Oh, Father, we pray that you will help us to be salt and light to shine the light of your Son, Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, we pray that you'd grow us in the fruit of the Spirit. Oh, Father, that you would grow us in love, joy, peace and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. Oh, Father, we pray that you would grow us in self-control. Father, we pray that you would remind us that these can only be found in your Son, Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Help us, O oh Lord, not to seek these things in the world or in the old ways of rebellion of the flesh. Father, we pray that you would strengthen us, that you'd strengthen our church. Father, we pray that you would help us to love one another, to strive side by side for your gospel to build each other up and encourage each other in your word and your truth. Father, we pray that you would help us to correct, rebuke, exhort each other in love, spurring each other on, stirring each other up to faith and good works. Father, we do pray for the children, all the children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren represented. Oh, Father, we pray that they would know you, that they would love you, that you give them a hunger and desire for your word, for your truth, for your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray for the lost. Oh, Father, we pray for family, friends, coworkers, the people you bring into our lives each day that are lost. Oh, Father, we pray. Only your son, Jesus Christ, sets free. Only the gospel is the power of salvation. 
So, Father, we pray for the lost, that you give them eyes to see, ears to hear, new hearts to believe, minds to understand. Father, we pray that you'd use us to proclaim your gospel and lift up your word. Father, we do continue to to pray for Reverend Mihai Korase in Romania. Father, we pray that you'd be with him, be with his family, be with his, the church community there, continue to grow them and strengthen them, Lord. Father, we pray for our upcoming classes meeting next month. Father, we pray for wisdom and guidance for all the decisions made there. Father, we pray that you would receive all glory. Father, we pray for those who are in a time of your need, of weakness, or infirmity. Oh, Father, we do continue to pray for Marcia. Oh, Father, we pray that as her memory continues to slip in the memory care center, oh, Father, we pray that you just continue to hold her in your righteous right hand. Continue to bring to her heart and mind your word, your peace, your strength. Father, we continue to pray for Wendy Lou's mother, for continued healing, for her sister-in-law. Father, we pray for Ruth's mother, just for your comfort, your healing, your strength. Father, we lift up Deborah to you. Oh, Lord, we pray for healing, that she would be able to sleep, that you would be her strength, her focus, her peace in the midst of this time of weakness and struggle. Father, we lift her up to you. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And it's because of his sacrifice, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his intercession on behalf of us, your people, and his glorious return, that we pray the prayer that our Savior taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I invite you to please rise. The passage of scripture I'm going to be sharing on this morning is in 1 Thessalonians. We continue working our way through 1 Thessalonians. This morning we're looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 6 through 10. So I invite you to read along with me, starting at verse 6. Nor did we seek glory from people, neither from you, or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, 
we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. Your word is truth. It is light. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Breathed out by you, inspired by the Holy Spirit, all authoritative, all sufficient, inerrant, and infallible. Oh, Father, we are absolutely dependent on wisdom and discernment to the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, Father, we pray that you would grow us in the truth. For to know the truth of your Son, Jesus Christ, is to be set free. In Christ's glorious name, amen. You may be seated. I'd like to invite any children who'd like to come forward with the children's message. is something that's very fragile, that's easy to break? Glass. Glass. Okay, that's a good example. Anything else? Aids. You know, things fragile. So if you are holding, say your parents said, oh, could you take our rare Shahuli glass piece, the heritage of our family, and could you take it to the house and clean it, go sit on the shelf? How would you carry something that's very valuable and very fragile? I'm breathing. You're trying to protect it, right? You don't want it to fall. Has anyone ever broken something? I've broken a lot of things. A lot of things, yeah. So the Apostle Paul is using this beautiful language here for the church. Beautiful, being very gentle with the church. I want you to read this verse again. It's a beautiful one. It says this, Paul says this, But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her children. Wow, so you have this image. Now, how do you hold a very little baby? Are you very careful? Yeah. You don't just carry it around by it. Ankle or something. No, you, 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 you want to care for the baby. You want to be careful. So that's what Paul's describing the utmost care and love. And that's what he had for the church of Thessalonica. That's what he had for all the churches. Because he wanted them to grow in the love of Christ. So we're going to see in this, this passage what it is to so love our brothers and sisters in Christ, the church, that we would have that kind of care, that kind of love for one another. So I just want you to be thinking about that because that's how much Christ loves those who believe in him. He cares for them in such a way. So let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you that you are a loving, heavenly Father. 
and that your son, that he so cares for those who believe and trust in him, that he has died for them, and that he prays for them. Father, we pray that you would help us. We pray for our church, that you'd help our church to so love and care for one another in your truth. In Christ's wonderful name, amen. Amen. You guys have that kissing. So we are again looking at 1 Thessalonians. We are in chapter 2. I want to first go back to read verses 1 through 5, as here we see a contrast. The Apostle Paul, in our passage, is speaking of the positive aspects of what it is to so care, so love, to so serve Christ and his people. But right before us, he was contrasting that with the negative aspects of the false apostles, the false teachers, who are seeking to, as wolves in sheep clothing, to feed on the sheep rather than feed the sheep. So you see this contrast between true and false teachers in 1 Thessalonians. So again, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I want to again read these first verses. You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi. Remember, that's where they were beaten and imprisoned for the gospel. As you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you this gospel in spite of strong opposition. Even though their lives were at risk, they knew that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Remember the Apostle Paul made clear, he had died and his life is Christ, for Christ, by Christ. So, with that understanding, you're willing to lose everything for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your own life, because your life is Christ and the spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ crucified. So again, that's that reality of verse 2. As you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. Verse 3, for the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives. That's describing these false teachers, false apostles, false preachers who are coming in seeking to deceive the church. Nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God, who tests our hearts. And we looked at that last week. If you have an attitude and a mind and a desire to please men, then you will say anything, you will do anything, 
You will be silent when you would speak, when you should speak, you should speak, when you should be silent. You will be willing to compromise and give up anything to hold on to your earthly life. So you will please man. But the Apostle Paul makes clear you cannot please man and God. That's the contrast here. So again, that's what Paul says in verse 4. We are not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. That's going to be important. Because in our passage, the Apostle Paul comes back to that when he says, we seek the glory of God, not the glory of men. It's the same descriptor. Verse 5. You know we never use flattery, nor did we put on a mask. This is hypocrisy. To cover up greed, God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. And that's where we find ourselves in our passage now. 1 Thessalonians 2, starting at verse 6. So verse 6, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others. Now, this is an important teaching, and this gets back to this important teaching of Christ. If you go to John, so you have this whole theme of teaching by Christ in John chapter 5, 7, 12. It becomes this dominant theme woven through the Gospel of John. And it's all this contrast between people who seek the glory of men rather than the glory of God. That's the same thing as trying to please men rather than God. Because what you're trying to do, if you're seeking the glory of men, if you're seeking to please men, is you are trying to hold on to your earthly life in this world, following the ways of this world, the deception of the devil, and ultimately feeding your old fallen flesh. That's what it is to please men and seek the glory of men. And the Apostle Paul is saying to the church in Thessalonica, that is not us. But that is how the false teachers and false apostles, that is how they conduct themselves. Well, let's look at how Jesus taught this. Because Paul's going to be taking the same teaching and applying it to the church in Thessalonica. So I encourage you to turn to John 5. So here's where this starts up, this glory of men or glory of God. Which glory ultimately are we seeking? Which glory is what fills our hearts and minds and is our desire? So John chapter 5, starting at verse 39. Here's where Jesus introduces this discussion and this teaching. So John 5, starting at verse 39. This is Jesus, again, speaking to the Jews. You search the scriptures... Because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Remember, that was Jesus' chief indictment against the scribes, the Pharisees, religious leaders during his time, is they searched the scriptures, they taught from the scriptures, they had the scriptures memorized, they lifted up the scriptures, but they were living in their pride, and their presumption, and their hypocrisy. They really, truly did not live by what the Scriptures taught. Because the Scriptures pointed to Christ alone, and that their only righteousness 
would be that of the servant of God dying for their sins. But was the stumbling stone for the Jews that they had their own righteousness? That they had their own righteousness. So that's what Jesus is saying, verse 39. So verse 40, even though they have the scriptures and they claim to teach them, verse 40, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. And that's the contrast there between true life, true freedom, which is only found in Jesus Christ. There is no life, there is no freedom in the ways of the world, in the deceptions of the devil, and as long as we are in bondage to our old fallen flesh. That is not life, that is death. Verse 41. This is Jesus teaching again. I do not receive glory from people. What he's saying there is ultimately his glory is not dependent on what people do or whether they give him glory. I do not receive glory from people, verse 42, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. Here's the key question, verse 44. And this is what Paul is referencing here in our text. Verse 44, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? There it is. That's the contrast. That's the contrast between the saved and the unsaved, between those who are spiritually alive in Christ and those who are dead. That's ultimately the distinction between those who have been adopted, given the gifts of repentance and faith, those whom Christ has died for and, and will dwell in the new heaven, new earth, in heaven forever, in the glory of Christ, in contrast to those will be in eternal conscious torment in hell apart from the glory of God. It all ultimately comes down to this reality. Do you seek the glory that will be yours in the glorious return of Jesus Christ because of the glorious redemption you have in him, because of his sacrifice, his righteousness, his holiness, that he is king of kings and lord of lords, is that the glory you seek? Or do you seek the glory of man? Of pleasing men? Of holding on to this earthly life? Rather than knowing that the only life you have is in Jesus Christ. That's the contrast. That's what is being lifted up here. Again, Jesus brings this up. John 7. So if you turn to John chapter 7. And every time Jesus takes us deeper in this real reality of what it is to seek the glory of God rather than the glory of man. Now John 7. John 7 verse 15. John seven fifteen. The Jews therefore marveled saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? This was brought quite the consternation to the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin, to the religious leaders and authorities. 
this is this guy from Nazareth. I mean, this is, I mean, this, everything about it was just a scandal to them. So verse 16, so Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. Verse 18, here's another key reality that is helpful for our text of what Paul is teaching the church in Thessalonica. So John 7, verse 18, the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. And that's ultimately how you can discern the false teachers, false preachers, false apostles, wolves in sheep clothing. Ultimately, it's their own authority. They have this new understanding or new teaching or new gospel or new way to understand this or new doctrines and that that they know because they are wiser or holier, been given new revelation or or they are closer to God in some way. And, And it's in that their own authority, what they're doing is they're seeking their own glory in their own pride. Verse 18, the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him there is no falsehood. And that's ultimately who Paul is. That's what Paul is saying. He is seeking the glory of Jesus Christ because he has been sent by Jesus Christ. Christ saved him because Christ had died for him. Christ called him on the road to Damascus. Christ taught him personally. And Christ has sent him, commissioned him to give his life for the gospel. Ultimately, Jesus concludes this discussion of this contrast in glory in John 12. So if you go to John 12, you have this powerful statement in verse 37. Verse 37. Speaking of Jesus, though he had done so many signs before them. Remember Jesus' ministry. Dead were brought to life. Blind were given sight. Lepers were cleansed. Demon-possessed had the demons cast out of them. Those who were crippled walked. I mean, miracle after miracle after miracle, showing that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords, all-powerful over creation, all-powerful over all the curses and all the weaknesses and brokenness and maladies as the consequences of the fall, that Jesus can bring healing and hope and liberation because he is king of kings and Lord of lords, sign after sign after sign. So verse 37 of John 12, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. That's the, John's like, this is unbelievable. Why? This is why. Starting at verse 42, he explains. Again, it all comes down to who do you want to please? Whose glory are you seeking? And what life are you living for? Your old life 
as Paul describes in Romans 5, of unrighteousness or new life in Christ. There's, there's only two ways of life. So John 12, verse 42. Again, no matter all the signs, all the works, verse 42, nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. So there were a lot because the miracles are just, <laughs> and the fulfillment of prophecy in scripture. I mean, all the Old Testament's boy. And, and so it says many were like, this is, he's got to be the one. But look at this statement, verse 42. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees. They did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. And that's a very important understanding because what it means to seek to please men or get glory from men, what that means is you fear men. You fear that they could take from you your earthly life. That's what that all comes down to. The seeking to please, the seeking to glory from, ultimately comes to who do you fear? Who do you fear? What are you holding to as your identity and as your life? What is most precious to you? That's what it all comes down to. Again, this, this is this powerful statement. This is, this is the deepest teaching on this. This is what Paul is drawing from through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the church in Thessalonica. Again, verse 42 and 43. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, believed in Christ, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. This is a powerful statement because we are all confronted with these choices daily, weekly, monthly, years, through, throughout our lives. We're all confronted with this reality. This continues to be a part of our sanctification process because we are faced, especially in a growing hostile to God, hostile to Christ, hostile to the gospel, hostile to true Christianity. This is the culture. This is the real. This is the environment that we live in. More and more, we are faced as Christians with these moments. Will we confess or will we remain silent? Will we speak the truth and patience and love or will we hold back out of fear because ultimately, we fear losing what we believe is our life rather than trusting that Christ is our life. It's a powerful reality. That's what this text, that's what these scriptures are teaching us. Again, verse 43, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Why they feared the Pharisees is what could the Pharisees do? Put them out of the synagogue. And if you were put out of the synagogue, you were disconnected by the Pharisees from God. 
you are sent out of any way of salvation. But also as a Jew, if you were sent out of the synagogue and your work in that was with other Jews, you could lose your job. You could be sent out of your family. You can lose your family. You can lose your friends, lose your occupation, lose your job. You can lose everything. And that's what was taking place in the church in Thessalonica. This is one of the most persecuted churches of the early church. And the Apostle Paul praised God that even though they were being sent out of the synagogue, even though they were losing their jobs, lose their families were casting them out, they were being imprisoned, they were losing everything. The word of God kept sounding forth from them. That's where Paul just thanked you. Because they knew that their life was Christ. Christ alone. That is their life. So that's why Jesus in John 12, he, in contrast to the seeking the glory or seeking the please or fearing man, here's the contrast. John 12, 44. And Jesus cried out and said, I love he cried out. See, Jesus knows the heart and mind of everyone. And he's looking at these people and he sees all these people who, oh yeah, they believe, but, but, but they, won't, they won't confess. They won't speak the truth. They won't shine the light. They won't be salt and light because they fear of the repercussions for their earthly life. So, so Jesus, and he cries out. Verse 44 of John 12, and Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me, Believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness, in bondage, in death, enslavement to the lies and deceptions of the devil and this world and the old flesh. Oh, that's the cry. Remember other times Jesus cried? One of my favorite times is when Jesus cried out, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest. Weary and heavy laden. In that context, he's speaking to those who God in his grace and mercy through the power of the spirit convicted them of their sins. And they realized that they could not obey the law, that they could not perfect themselves, that they could not be righteous in and of themselves so that they were, they were being crushed and burdened by their own sin. And Jesus says, I can free you from that. Because that's what he does on the cross. On the cross, Jesus dies for all those who will come, who will believe, who will repent and have faith, who will confess. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. Jesus dies on the cross to pay the penalty of the sin of all those who would trust and believe and confess to, to satisfy the wrath of God against them. So he takes the burden on himself so that we can be free. Again, verse 46, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. 
That's what it is to seek the glory of God. Is to be light, shining, salt, preserving, flavoring, lifting up the gospel in every context. So again, 1 Thessalonians 2, 6. Nor did we seek the glory from people, whether from you or from others. No, it's all glory of Christ, the glory of God, sola dea gloria. Though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. So so Paul is an apostle. He could have made demands, but but for him, it was all about self-sacrifice and service for the brother. This was how Paul lived his life. Another beautiful place you see this is 1 Corinthians 9. If you go there, this is Paul's ultimate statement of, yes, he is an apostle, but he came to serve and be the lowest servant for Christ's glory. For Christ's glory. It's all for Christ's glory. Why? Because remember for Paul, he had died and his life is Christ. So 1 Corinthians 9, verse 1. Here you see Paul with the church in Corinth. He's having the same discussion. But there he's contrasting his motive, his heart, with that of the false teachers, false apostles, ravaging the church in Corinth. So 1 Corinthians 9, verse 1. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? He sees he's, he's making clear. Verse 12. If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife? As do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? I love that. That's where Paul's saying, you know, that verse was written for the servants of the Lord. That's that's what the meaning of that verse is. Or is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? So you have this this reality that he's telling the church in Corinth, but ultimately it all comes down to this. Verse 12, if others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. Right. But we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. What then is my reward that in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel? 
For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. That is what it looks like and sounds like and, and is of one who knows that they are a slave of Christ. That their life is Christ. This is the example. This is why Paul says to imitate him, to imitate this, this reality through the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's what the Apostle Paul is reminding the church in Thessalonica, that when he was among them, he didn't take a dime from the people of Thessalonica. That not only did he preach night and day, but he also worked night and day as a tent maker and anything to support himself. But not only that, he also got funding from other churches while he was in Thessalonica so that he wouldn't burden them. You see that in Philippians 4. The, the church in Philippi was one of the churches that sponsored him and supported him so that he did not have to take money from the, Thess- from the church in Thessalonica. So they were com- he was commissioned by God and they were funding his time there. You see that in Philippians 4, verses 15 and 16. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, No church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. He's so bold as to say again to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 8, I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. That's literally how he described it. Because he was not going to in any way put any obstacle in the church of Corinth. So he robbed the other churches so that he wouldn't have to burden them. That's the example of such looking to the interests of others above your own. That's Philippians 2. Having the mind of Christ realizing that in Christ we have been set free from this room and the life we have is Christ and the family we have are the people of God and the house we we are a part of is the household of God and our brothers and sisters in Christ is our life to serve one another, to encourage each other, to correct, rebuke, exhort one another in patience and love, to to Stir each other up to spur each other on. I love that image of how we are to be in Christ. Oh. But to do that, you got to know each other. We got to love each other. We got to care for one another. We got to strive side by side with one another. But that's what it is to have that kind of affection and love and care that we see Paul teaching us in this passage. It's a beautiful imagery, and that's where we get in verses 7 and 8 of our text. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 7 and 8. And here Paul is invoking the most tender, gentle, serving image that he can come up with. Familiar with the people. So here it is, verse 7. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother 
taking care of her own children. Now that's the ultimate image of a child in absolute, this is a nursing infant in complete, absolute dependence and need. And the image of the mother with that care and concern of feeding and changing and bathing and, and, and teaching and instructing and, and holding and holding close, close. It's a beautiful image. Again, verse 7, But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother, taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. That's, that's it. That's the church. That's, that's the image of the family of God, the household of God, is that affection, that care, that love for one another. That we pray, that we exhort, that we come alongside each other to, to see each other grow up into Christ. That we are all a part of that, the body of Christ. That's the imagery given us here. And that's what the Apostle Paul displays again and again and again in his writings. We see where Paul speaks of this in other churches. In Galatians 4, 19, he has this statement to the church in Galatia. And what a context that was. Here was this church that he had, he had taught and instructed, and, and then he goes away, and, and false teachers come in with false gospels. And the church, so many of them are running after these false gospels. He's, I mean, it's doing them in. Chapter 1, he's just crying out. But this is what he says, Galatians 4. This is why he cares so much. Galatians 4, 19. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. That's that care, that concern, that anguish, that affection. Because ultimately, what Paul is doing is he's seeking the glory of God, but he's also displaying the care of our Heavenly Father. He's displaying Jesus Christ as the good shepherd who dies for the sheep, who tends the sheep, who cares for the sheep. This is the imagery we have of one another. This is ultimately what we saw was a prophecy of Ezekiel 34. So if you look at Ezekiel 34, this is where God says he will shepherd his people. He will be a good shepherd. He will care for them in such a gentle, loving way that they will be drawn into his love and know his care. It's Ezekiel 34 Verse 14, again, the context of Ezekiel is contrasting the love of God, the care of God and of Christ and the power of the Spirit with the false shepherds who were ripping the sheep to shreds. They were just devouring them. Whether it was the false priests or the false prophets or the kings and the corrupt officials, they just looked at the people like I look at the Costco chicken. 
Whenever I go get my Costco chicken, I go down there and I want the biggest. If it isn't touching the top of the container, I won't even look at it. So I'm looking, I'm like, oh, it's got to be popping the lid, you know, five bucks. So I, you know, I'm looking and, and oh, it's got to be juicy and savory, you know, that, that's, that's. So I'm there, you know, I'm going, well, I got to get the biggest, best Costco chicken. Well, that's how they were treating the people of God. They're just, who can I devour? Who's the weakest? Who's the, oh, there's one. I can get them. So God says, no, I'm going to be the shepherd. I'm going to be the shepherd. He's speaking of Jesus in John 10. He says he's the good shepherd. That's what we see here. So, so this is Ezekiel 34, 14. I will feed them with good pasture. And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land. And on rich pasture, they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will build up the bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak. That's what God says he will do. And that's what Jesus Christ does. That's what he did on the cross. That's what he did in his resurrection. That's what he does in his intercession. This is what the Spirit does in the children of God, the adopted children of God, where Christ continues to seek the lost. He sends out the apostles and he sends us as ministers of reconciliation. So that's what Paul is saying, that he is the under-shepherd of the shepherd, Jesus Christ. And as an under-shepherd, he had better love the sheep as Christ loves the sheep. That's what he's teaching the church in Thessalonica. Again, Ezekiel 34, 16, I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak. How about those wolves in sheep's clothing? And the fat and the strong I will destroy. That's the holy, just wrath of God. God is loving and gracious and merciful and he is holy and wrathful and will judge the unrighteous. I will feed them in justice. As for you, my flock, says the Lord God, behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats. And ultimately, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And what it all comes down to is, are you in Christ? Are you clothed in his righteousness? Is he your righteousness? Is he your Lord? Is he your Savior? That's what it all comes down to. And that for Paul is everything. That's why he gives his life for the power of God, which is the gospel for salvation. So verses 9 and 10 of 1 Thessalonians 2. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Verse 10. You are witnesses and God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. 
And that is our calling in Christ is to strive in humility, knowing that we are weak, that we fall short daily, but we still strive. Remember, that's what Article 2 of the Cans of Door that we read this morning. Yes, we are beset by weaknesses and, and struggles and sins every day, but we strive for, we press forward. We humble ourselves before God. We press forward for the upward call of Christ with our eyes fixed on him. So ultimately, the Apostle Paul makes clear he did not seek the glory of people. He did not seek the glory of people. He did not seek to please people. He did not fear any man. And that's the call for each and every one of us. That's why Romans 10 is so powerful. Romans 10 is so powerful, but it's, it's in so many contexts it becomes cheapened. But what Romans 10 says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will be saved. And that's true. That's the glorious truth of the gospel. But what's the context to confess with your mouth? Well, the context the Apostle Paul is talking about is this. Roman authorities were gathering up those who confessed to be Christian. And all you had to do under the Roman authorities, under the time of Nero and on, all you had to do is be willing among as many Caesars, just to burn a little incense towards Caesar. You could still believe what you want to believe as long as you kept it to yourself in your own mind, in your own heart, and this and that. As long as you were willing to acknowledge Caesar is Lord, they'd let you go. Just a little pinch of incense, a little altar. That's all you had to do. So to confess meant in such a context you would not put the incense on the altar. And you would say, there is one Lord, there is one King, it is Jesus Christ. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. And to him alone will I worship, will I acknowledge he is my Lord and Savior, and he is above to confess Jesus is to confess him as Savior and as Lord. And that's to give him all glory, praise, and honor. Let's pray. Oh, Father. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are a good shepherd. We thank you that your son, Jesus Christ, is the good shepherd. He laid down his life for the sheep. Oh, Father, we pray that you would help us. Help us to pick up our cross and to follow. To die to ourselves. To seek your glory alone. Father, we pray that you would help us to strive for holiness, righteous, to be blameless. To so love the brethren. Father, we thank you. In Christ's glorious name, amen. Well, I invite you to rise and sing with me, number 171.
a word of God incarnate.
all the beautiful places of this created order, there should be no greater longing of a beautiful vision than to see Christ face to face. That is our most blessed hope and longing. Let's receive the benediction. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. I invite you to close with me with the glory of Patria.